Hello, you're listening to Search for Truth. It's great to have your company. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, John, and in a moment I'll introduce our Bible teacher, Brian, with his second talk in this series of four called The Triumph of Christ Crucified. The image of a triumphal procession of a conquering Roman general and his soldiers is taken up by Paul and used to compare with aspects of the victorious conquest of Jesus Christ. So, now let's hear about it from Brian. Hello. By exploring one of the colourful and historic terms used by God's Word, we are studying the big picture of the progress of Christianity in strategic terms as a triumphal procession through this world and right across the pages of history. We are seeing God's work in Christ as an absolute triumph. What we began to talk about last week and hope to continue with now is the way the Bible makes references to a Roman triumph. What was one of those, you may ask, if you're just joining us? We've seen this was the victory parade of a military hero. If his achievement had been significant enough, he was given this great honour when he returned to Rome. And what was this honour? Well, it consisted of a procession from the banks of the river Tiber into the heart of the city of Rome, into the Forum, to the very Capitoline Hill itself, and so to the altar of Jupiter. Along the way, the temple stood open, and their altar smoked with fragrant incense. At the head of the procession were the captive leaders and soldiers, usually walking in chains. Their captured weapons and treasures were carted along behind them. Next in line and all on foot came Rome senators and magistrates and civil servants. Then the general, the celebrated hero of the hour, in his four-horse chariot. A favoured companion might share the chariot with him, or sometimes his children. His officers and soldiers followed. Somewhere in the procession, two flawless white oxen, garland decked with gilded horns, were led for sacrifice to the Roman god Jupiter. Finally, bringing up the rear of the procession with the lowest of the low, the captive slaves. And all of this went to the accompaniment of music, clouds of incense and the strewing of flowers. As we've said, this was one of the most extravagant displays of Roman supremacy. The general was celebrated as godlike in his ability to direct divine favour in support of the cause of Roman expansion and the defeat of all its enemies. This was a wonderful piece of ancient street theatre, which above all projected the vision of Rome as the greatest show on earth. Such was the profile of this kind of event in those days, it comes as no surprise at all to us that the Apostle Paul should adapt it as a Bible analogy for the career of the all-conquering Christ, whom the Bible presents as the one making a spectacle of the Apostles, leading believers in triumph after having led captivity captive. And this same analogy of a Roman triumph, when it's applied to the crucified Christ, even features the subordination of angelic authorities. More on these things later in the series. But today, we just want to pick up on the second item in that list just mentioned, which was about how believers are led in triumph in Christ. These words are found in today's reading, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm reading from verse 12. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, But taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. 
for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Last week, we briefly considered some of the disappointments faced in a life of service by the Apostle Paul. Those hard times recalled to his mind, under the Spirit's divine guidance, a scene taken from a Roman general's victory parade. He spoke of himself as if he were one of the lowest-grade captives, those who were effectively chained to the general's chariot wheels. But there were also highs in Paul's mission work, of course, and what highs they were too. Doors of evangelical opportunity had swung open for him. New vistas of missionary expansion were opening up elsewhere. Reliving the groundbreaking thrill of leading souls to Christ and planting churches in virgin soil, in the chapter we read from a moment ago, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul now sees himself, as if for a moment, among the incense bearers on one of those triumphal processions. You'll remember we said these victory parades were always very aromatic experiences. In other words, there was a lot of fragrance up in the air coming from the burning of incense in the pagan temples which lined the route of the triumphal procession. For the victorious allies, this was, of course, the sweet smell of success, whereas, in stark contrast, for the captives, vanquished but with unconquered hearts, that same fragrance heralded a very different fate, the smell of the death that awaited them at the journey's end. The progress of the gospel always makes for uplifting news, but even more importantly, it's spreading further the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. When our local brethren on one of the world's great continents first visited a new area with the preaching of the gospel of Christ, there was great opposition to the preaching of Christ. In that particular place, the national cult has as much grip on the hearts and minds of the residents as had the even more traditional false religion of worship of ancestral and nature spirits. In one way or another, these were people bound and blinded by the evil one and living in deep spiritual darkness. There were threats, and our witnessing brothers were warned it may be best for them to leave. But God visited and the whole scene was transformed as the main ringleader who'd been fomenting the opposition was himself gloriously converted. He experienced a Damascus Road-type turnaround. Now he gathers as many as he can and is passionate for the truth which he so recently and vehemently had set himself against. Recently they hired a jeep for 30 of their number and travelled all day to observe the breaking of the bread at our nearest Church of God location to this distant place. How often those who come from deepest darkness are the most zealous for truth. We've assisted them to build a meeting shack where some two dozen were recently formed as a Church of God and so able to break bread biblically. But there are times when we witness and follow it up carefully and yet the response is strongly negative. I can recall just as vividly working in another land and asking people at their doors if they had any personal hope. The response was bleak, a shake of the head, a shrug of the shoulders, or a blank expression, 
or a mind blinded by some very unorthodox spiritual views. They all had one thing in common, which was no desire for, or slightest bit of interest in, the good news which the Bible has to offer. According to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 2, this also, solemn thought, is an outcome that spreads the fragrance of Christ. God savours our evangelistic efforts even when the results are not positive, not even tangible to us. Overall, Paul here is saying to us, never give up on gospel preaching or personal witnessing. It's fragrant to God, always, because what we are spreading is the fragrance of Christ regardless of the response we receive. It's recorded that Napoleon Bonaparte once said to one of his associates that he, Napoleon, had inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they'd have died for him. But he said to do that, it had been necessary for him to be visibly present with the electric influence of his looks, words and voice. Napoleon went on to say that Christ alone had succeeded in so raising the mind of man toward the unseen that it became insensible to the barrier of time and space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, he said, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. Jesus asks for the human heart. He demands it unconditionally, and forthwith his demand is granted. Wonderful! In defiance of time and space, the spirit of man, with all its powers and faculties, becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe experience that supernatural love towards him. Napoleon said this was an unaccountable phenomenon, apart from seeing it as proof positive of the divinity of Christ. Our efforts in presenting the true knowledge of this divine Christ to others may seem odious to them, but let's be assured it's fragrant to God. There are so many facets to this overall victorious picture, the one we're considering in this series of a Roman triumphal procession. At times, as we'll see in the remainder of the series, Paul sees himself as Christ's captive. At another moment, like an incense bearer, We've been looking at that one today. And yet another time, he sees himself like one of Christ's trophies. There again, he sees his co-workers as good soldiers, and even believers as family and friends honoured in the general's chariot. His view of it all embraces good as well as bad angels, and the saved as well as the unsaved of history. Altogether, it's a real collection of individual images. The cross with all its shame has become the victor's chariot. Christ is the universal conqueror marching in triumph down through the corridors of time and over all of this vanquished world until all creation owns his sway, though for some that acknowledgement will come too late to save them. But for us, to be triumphed over by Christ now is to share his triumph forever. This realisation, graphically captured for us in biblical triumphal imagery, transforms our struggles with difficulties into shouts of victory. Oh, okay.
I hope you enjoyed Brian's talk. And if you've got any comments or questions, Brian will be pleased to help if you write in. But now to sum up with some information. First, if you'd like to have the booklet, which is a transcript of this whole series of Brian's talks, it's available free of charge. You can have more than one copy if you're going to use them for group study or to pass on to friends. But just make sure to let us have your postal address, otherwise you won't get it. Ask for the title, The Triumph of Christ Crucified. And there are also back issues of other titles, and I'll tell you how to get those in a moment. But first, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now, here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I said before, you can download audio versions of some past programs. On your computer, you need to go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. And uh, this is also our church website, and you can download some other useful material if you want to. Uh, more past titles of Search for Truth booklets are available at Amazon on amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks and type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books available there. Now I have to sign off but thanks once more for the privilege of your company. It's been great to have you with us and next week we've more concerning the triumph of Christ crucified so remember to tune in uh, same time uh, same place. Until then we look forward to seeing you and it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian our technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. Yeah.